Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I want to share with you guys my conversation with licensed psychotherapist, entrepreneur, national speaker, and mental health thought leader, Joyce Martyr. You guys, this has to be one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the show yet. With Joyce's background as a psychologist and counselor, she brings just such an incredible, unique insight into the mental health side of money that honestly isn't really talked about all that much. And her book, The Financial Mindset Fix, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, is an absolute must read for anyone out there who really wants to take charge of their financial well-being. It's an incredible read. It's going to be hard to put down. And I'm just such a huge fan of Joyce. We're so aligned on so many different aspects of this work. So here's a little bit more about Joyce before we jump into it. Joyce Martyr is a licensed psychotherapist, entrepreneur, national public speaker, and mental health thought leader. She's the founder of Urban Balance, a national outpatient mental health company, and the author of The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. And in our conversation today, Joyce and I talk about the connection between mental health and financial health, the 12 essential mindsets for transforming your relationship with yourself to welcome a life of wealth, why self-doubt is actually ego and how to manage it as it comes up, the unique issues women face around money and mental health and how we can move through those and begin to thrive and so much more. You guys can find more from Joyce at her website, joycemartyr.com. That's J-O-Y-C-E-M-A-R-T-E-R.com. You can check out her book's website, which is financialmindsetfix.com. You can go check out the book anywhere you get your books. I'll also link it in the show notes. And you guys can follow Joyce on social media as well, just at Joyce Martyr. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the incredible Joyce Martyr. I hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Joyce. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to be here, Megan. Thank you for having me. So I am really excited to talk to you because there's not a lot of talk out there about this kind of connection between mental health and financial health. And I know that's a very, um, it's a common mission for both of us. And so I already feel like we have a a pretty good connection around that. So I'd love to just dive in. Let's start by having you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Yes, we do have that synergy. And I call that combination of mental health and financial health, mental wealth. Mm -hmm. So it's having mental well-being and financial success and not one without the other. So I've been a licensed psychotherapist practicing in the Chicago area for about 25 years. And I founded, built, and sold a national outpatient mental health company called Urban Balance. 
And as a, th- as a therapist, I think we all specialize in our own issues. So I came into the field. I remember I was really nervous that my professors were going to see that I personally deal with anxiety and that they were going to say, you can't be a therapist because you have your own mental health issues. But I'm super passionate about destigmatizing mental health and promoting information and access to care and awareness. And thankfully, my professors recommended we all seek our personal counseling and therapy. And I found the work transformational. And as I worked as a clinician, I saw something really extraordinary in my practice. I was working with largely working professionals dealing with depression, anxiety, grief and loss, relationship issues, stress, and client after client was coming in reporting they were getting raises and promotions and starting Mm. their own businesses. Interesting. It was interesting. I was like, why is this happening? Because at the time I wasn't focused on talking about the relationship with money or career at all. And so I was a bit confused about it, but I realized that we're always working on underlying self-worth and self-esteem and working on the client's relationship with themselves. And as that relationship transformed and they embraced their inner worth, and we're all innately deserving of prosperity, they started to put themselves out in the world differently with more confidence and more assertiveness and a willingness to expand their comfort zone, to get over their imposter syndrome and perfectionism and other aspects of ego and negotiate. And that really had a financial return. So it it got me very interested in the connection between self-worth and net worth. Mm. And the psychology of money. Mm, yes, me too. I mean, I think for me, I think it started a little differently. But as I say a lot in the show, I think that I started in the financial services world and I kept seeing clients over and over and over again say things like, are you sure that I can do this? Are you sure that I can you know, go on this vacation or I can retire or I can do this? And I'm like, yes yes, you can. And they're like, I don't know. I really think I should stop spending this and that. And it's just like, it gets to a point where like you're stifling yourself after a while. And I just, I start to notice that like you're these people by feeling that way and believing these things, you're, you're keeping yourself small and you're not living the life that you want to live, right? Because of these beliefs. So there's gotta be something more to this, right? Absolutely. And my favorite thing as a therapist and coach is to mirror back to my clients, everything that is unique and special and gifted and amazing about them and empowering them with aligning those gifts with a need in the world and to the greatest extent possible. And with that transformation, we end self-limitation and self-sabotage and shift from a scarcity mindset to a mindset of abundance. So scarcity is rooted in fear and lack and this idea that there aren't enough resources to go around or we need to hoard or be miserly with our money because it might all go away. And an abundant mindset is the idea that there are more than enough resources for all of us, whether it's love or money or support or jobs. And that when we operate from a place of self-worth, and open-mindedness, collaboration, innovation, and creative problem solving, we can be generative. 
we can create businesses and jobs and income streams. And this really isn't to me, it's not about money. It's, it's about expanding ourselves to our best potential. And when we do that, there's a financial return and it's not about greed or materialism or excess. It's about when we have more, we can help more. We can hire more people, we can be philanthropists, and we can contribute more to the greater good. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think of that as energy, right? It's yeah. like what you, it's 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 the vibration you have. It's what you put out into the world, right? So let's talk about abundance a little bit more because it is it's a buzzword these days. It's become a little trendy. So how do you work with somebody? who might be coming to you from a serious place of scarcity and lack. And and what are the steps to help somebody start to act in a way that they're kind of living their life towards their true potential or they're they're starting to put a different energy out into the world? Like what are the concrete kind of steps that need to happen that need to change in order to get there? Well, number one, I think some reflection on your family history? What did your parents and your grandparents go through? And was there any ancestral financial trauma? According to epigenetics research, our ancestors' financial money scripts live in our DNA. Mm. And those money stories live with us on a cellular level. And we have neural pathways, ways of thinking that are rooted in our family history. Also in how we were raised, what are the cultural and religious and family beliefs about money that we were taught? Were we taught that people with a lot of money were greedy or selfish or bad? Or what other belief systems did we develop and how is that causing us to unconsciously push money away? Then we need to look at our self-talk. So cognitive behavioral therapy asserts that our thoughts precede our emotions and behaviors. So if we have catastrophic or negative or fear-based thinking, we are through self-fulfilling prophecy going to create that for ourselves. So We need to shift our thinking from focusing on the negative to rerouting it to all that is possible. So with my clients, and you've used some some of these terms as you're talking about your clients, when they say, I can't, I won't, I'm not, I don't, I challenge them on those belief systems, even asking them, like, do you think you're going to get this promotion or new job that you're going for? And people will often say, well, no. There's a lot of competition and I might not be underqualified. And then I'll say, okay, I'm so sorry. Then you're not going to get the job. Right. If you don't believe it, no one else is going to. So rerouting those thought belief, thought systems. And then I also, you said money is energy and money is energy. It has flow like breath and love, and it goes in and out and we can lean into that flow And so we can apply mindfulness to finance. So in my own life experience, and when I said therapists specialize in our own issues, I created a big financial pickle that very much mirrored what my father went through. So my dad grew up during the Great Depression, 
And when I was an adolescent, he lost his job and had tremendous financial anxiety and scarcity mindset, even though he was an executive and had been very successful. And in my mid-adult life, in my 30s, I built this business with $500 and 50,000 of student loans, and I ended up in cash flow hell. I thought I was going to have to file business bankruptcy. I had insomnia and panic attacks. And on the outside, it looked like everything was great. But on the inside, I had a lot of financial shame and worry. Yeah. And so I used the tools from my clinical practice to transform my life including mindfulness strategies like meditation and yoga and tapping into the wisdom of my body in how I'm making financial decisions and business decisions. So my my book is a program with exercises from psychology, from narrative therapy, family systems therapy, trauma protocols like EMDR, and my own innovative self-assessment tools. And it's to help people build these 12 mindsets that I've identified that lead to holistic success. That is so cool. So are the 12 mindsets successive? Are they starting with kind of pulling yourself out of that scarcity and then moving ever so slowly in your own way towards more towards that abundance that you're, that you described? Yes, it's so interesting because you just described it exactly. So the first chapter is abundance and it's moving from scarcity to abundance and sort of explaining the whole philosophy. And the second chapter is on awareness and us coming out of financial denial and becoming aware of our defense mechanisms, whether it's projection or rationalization or intellectualization, the excuses that we make. Yep. And the roles that we play in our relationships at home and at work and how they impact our financial reality. And then we move into presence, again, applying mindfulness to money and essence, which is the opposite of ego, how ego can harm our financial relationship. And when we connect with our deeper, authentic self, we can really shine our light and embrace our worth. A big component is responsibility. And I love that you're a financial planner, especially as a woman. In my experience counseling women and couples, so many women are not financially literate and not financially empowered in the ways that we need to be. And and that's because we're not taught it. So we don't need to feel shame around it. I think that one of the reasons why women feel shame in general is because they don't have the underlying knowledge. We're not taught this in school and that's okay, right? That's okay. But you can learn it now as if you want to. And that's part of the the first part, the first step to being empowered around it. It really is that financial literacy piece is so important. And you're right. Women are told our whole lives that, that we're not good at math and really discouraged to learn more in those areas. I, I hope that and trust that that is changing, but learning our financial empowerment and really taking the reins of our financial life, not blaming our parents, our partners, our jobs, the economy, culture, <laughs> yeah, but really embracing and taking the reins of our financial life. So as you work the program, then it circles back to abundance. 
And it's not a get rich scheme. It's a way of living that is a practice. And each of these 12 mindsets is empirically supported to improve mental health and financial health. I love this. I think so many people, it's, this is so necessary. First of all, there's so many books out there. There's so many articles and media headlines that's like, okay, here's the five steps to, like you said, getting rich quick. Here's how to turn yourself into a millionaire. Here's how to do this, right? Because we live in a world of instant gratification. We live in a culture where everybody just, you have something that you want, but you don't want to actually go through the steps to get there because it can be painful. It can be uncomfortable and it takes time. And we're impatient as a culture and we're impatient as, as people, you know, you, you just mentioned ego. I mean, that I think comes out in all of us all the time and that's okay. We just have to recognize that it's there and recognize like when it's kind of getting in our way, but this is a practice. And I'm, I'm so excited to read your book. I haven't read it yet, but just you describing it, I think it's a must read for everybody because this is how you live your life. This isn't just how to handle your finances. This is incorporating the financial aspect into a way of living and a way of being. And that I think is so incredibly important because again, as I've talked about how you approach finances is how you approach everything and how you approach all areas of your life, whether that's relationships or work or how you think of yourself. So it's, this is crucial, I think, it's crucial knowledge. And again, it's, it's, can be painful. I'm sure these steps, you know, you don't just check the box. There's probably a lot of inner work and maybe uncomfortable work that needs to be done in each of these steps, right? Oh my goodness. You couldn't have said that more clearly or better. And that's how I feel about this program. It really is a program or practice to cultivate holistic success. I used to give a presentation called the psychology of success, and it's based on these 12 mindsets. And you're right. It's not easy. It's just like therapy. And I love that you called it our inner work. And I really believe we each need to do that inner reflection and personal development in order to grow and expand personally, professionally, and financially. And I always say getting in therapy is like cleaning out a messy closet. If you've ever had something that you closet that you crammed a bunch of stuff in therapy is like pulling it all out. And at first it's uncomfortable. It's overwhelming. But if you do the work, you can let go of some things. You can sort some things. You can develop new systems of operation and you function better and you feel better. And so I love spreading these practical tools and tips to really cultivate a greater life. And it does take commitment. It's not quick and easy, but I make the program fun. There's journaling prompts. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Like people can jump in right away and somebody gets something out of every chapter. I really feel, um, One reader was so cute. She said she really liked my book and she made her husband read it. And after chapter one, her husband got a raise. And then after chapter three, he got a promotion and then he was too busy and he hasn't finished the book. So she and I are laughing like, what's going to happen when he finally Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's incredible when you actually see the impact of mindset 
right? And that's something that I have, I've, I've had my own personal journey with it and I've struggled with it. I've gotten into a lot of places of shame and fear. And again, this is why I started the podcast in the first place so that I, I can work my way through this, right? Knowing that I'm not alone talking through my own journey. But I think it's so important to look at these, to have the self-awareness to start there and to really start to dissect without any judgment or shame what is actually going on. And that's how we can start to kind of move through to the other side of it. Can you give some examples? I'm just curious, you know, you, you've mentioned maybe a couple little things, but I'd love to see some examples of somebody going through those 12 steps and how they've shifted. Like what, what has changed in their world, in their mind and externally in their world? Do you have some? Yes, absolutely. And I share many client examples in my book, but if it's okay, I'd like to share my own. Please. So I mentioned that my business was in cash flow hell, and I thought I was going to have to file bankruptcy. And you were just talking about ego. And I love the work of Eckhart Tolle. And he says, whenever we feel either inferior or superior to others, that's the ego in us. And of course, we know that when we feel better than others, that's ego. But I didn't realize feeling inferior is also ego. Yeah. And so I really had to do a lot of work with basically I was wearing a mask of ego and telling everyone that I was fine and suffering in silence, both from a mental health and financial struggle perspective. And my rock bottom led me to opening up and asking for support and support came out of the woodwork. Once I was authentic and vulnerable and took off that mask and shared, I received so much more support instead of pride or fear and other aspects of ego preventing me from seeking the help that I really needed. That was a really transformational shift. So I personally have worked the program and I ended up selling my business for a seven figure multiple. And it was an eight figure exit, something that I would have never imagined possible when I was about to file bankruptcy really less than 10 years ago. Did you doubt yourself along the way? I mean, it's, it's to me, sometimes it feels like it's a big shift to go from, all right, to go from scarcity to abundance, which is why I love this kind of 12 step program. Like you're, you're again, kind of successive built each step seems to be building off of the next one as you're building it building that sort of resiliency and that mindset I, I do I'm somebody who doubts myself a lot and I feel like if you're if you have a big goal in mind and you have something that you really want like you really want this is like you know the vision right it can be hard when you're not necessarily seeing the results right away that you're looking for to, it can be hard to not doubt yourself, right? Oh my gosh. I doubt myself every day. We're human. All of us are works in progress. We're not perfect. And we all have our inner saboteur, that voice in our head, that inner critic that 
you know, comes from the past or past relationships or cultural or religious teachings that tells us we're not enough, that causes doubt. And that's an aspect of ego. It's trying to protect us. It's trying to keep us small. And we need to tell that part to step aside. So I recommend naming your inner saboteur. I know it sounds silly, but I've named mine Zelda and she's love it. And seriously, like I interviewed with a journalist from Bustle and she said that sounded interesting to her. So she wrote an article that she named her negative thinking Terry for a week and that it alleviated her depression. Wow. Um, She shared it with her therapist that she made major insights by becoming aware of that destructive voice that really holds us back. And so I teach how to how to practice self-compassion, not judge our feelings, how to honor everything that we've been through and understand that where we're at is a normal response to our nature and our nurture. And then to really work on self-affirmation, self-forgiveness, and, you know, again, embracing our worth and using the other strategies that I share, you know, creating your highest vision personally and professionally. If you had a magic wand, what do you want that to look like? And having support systems in place, having accountability, having detachment, which is a mindfulness strategy to kind of weather the storms. So to deal with the discomfort as you move through growth, and there's always going to be setbacks and hardships, but adopting that growth mindset so you can move through those challenges. I love that detachment because it's not like you don't care, but it's allowing you to separate yourself personally from what's actually happening, right? Like there's just because this is going on doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. And so I think that just identifying that alone is really important. It's really powerful. You and I are so aligned in our thinking. I am blown away. And that was the lesson that I had to learn. I had to learn. I'm not my debt. I'm not my financial problems. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and I had to use detachment to compartmentalize so that I could put one foot forward and address what was going on in my company. And I have so many people to thank for, you know, the success story that it became, but I, I'm still having to work this program so that I don't cause self-sabotage, you know, in, in my current life and in my current business. Oh, absolutely. Because this isn't one and done. And I think a lot of people think that they think, okay, well, once I achieve that goal, once I get that job, once I, you know, hit that, that profit, whatever it is, or I cross it off the list, then I'll be there. I will have arrived, but no. You're still dealing with the exact same mindset, the same struggles that you did before. You're just different place now, new level, new devil, right? You're still going through that. I remember, here's just an example. I remember um, I like to run and haven't used to run a lot more before I had kids. And I, I remember telling myself that if I could run a marathon, then I will be a different person. I will be so proud of myself. I will be so confident. I will be Like, I just, I will be somebody different than who I am today. Right. And then, and so I signed up and I trained and I did it and I was still the same person. Was I proud of myself? Yes, of course I was. But I mean, I'm still the same person at the end of the day. And then guess what happened? I was like, okay, well I did this. Now I want to do it better. 
Now I want to do more. I want to do another one. I want to beat my time. I want to do this. And it's like, that's the ego, right? That's the ego yes. coming in. And it, and you it's realize that like, when is enough enough? Like, when will I be good enough? Right. And so that's what I'm learning. That's what I'm learning as I'm going through this process. I just did an episode about what I want to do with the podcast and growing it. And do I want to turn it into something? I don't know. But the more that I put kind of like expectations and numbers around it, the more it stresses me out and overwhelms me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let this ride. I'm going to do what feels good to me because I am enough. This is good enough right now. I don't need anything more. I just enjoy having awesome conversations with awesome people. And it just lights me up and it's just so fulfilling. And I love talking about the stuff that I'm passionate about. Right. But the more that we put timeframes and numbers to things, the more pressure it feels like. And I, I think I have an idea of what you're going to say here in response, but the more it, it counteracts what we're actually trying to do. Right. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I have so many different responses but enoughness is really, I believe, a spiritual concept of a psycho-spiritual concept that you're right. When we operate from ego, it's insatiable. We always want bigger, better, more. Yeah. And when we operate from essence, which is the opposite of ego, if you believe in mind, body, spirit, our essence is our spirit or our soul or our authentic self, we are always enough. And, and so it's a dichotomy of knowing we are enough as who we are, our unique light within, and regardless of our financial situation, whether it's very great or very poor, and we can welcome more, but it can also go away. So like you think about all the athletes or celebrities that earn a tremendous amount of money and then they spend it and it's gone. Yeah. Yep. And so we still have to do that work on ourselves and our relationship with finances and our relationship with ourselves. Um, but we are always enough and becoming mindful of how some of those benchmarks can become addictive and compulsive and moving. Especially, through. especially in the culture that we're in, we're in a culture of instant gratification, social media, always comparing ourselves to other people, keeping up with the Joneses. We feel like we need to have this and that or accomplish whatever it is in order to be as good as they are. Yes, absolutely. And so, and we often compare our insides to other people's outsides and we feel inadequate. Yeah. And so the more that we can share authentically and vulnerably about whether it's our mental health struggles or financial struggles and respond to ourselves and others with compassion and empathy and support each other in becoming more informed and empowered and, you know, really cultivating a greater life so that we can evolve collectively as a society. Yeah. I talk about that all the time and the, the need, especially for women, because my that's my audience, the need for women to support each other in all of this and to not feel like there's something wrong with us because we're all in this together. And that's what I constantly try to remind everybody that like, you are not alone as, cause I feel this way. I felt this way at so many different stages of my life. Like when I've been a, a new mother with a tiny little baby and not knowing what I'm doing when I it just at work feeling like, you know, I'm maybe I'm 
square peg in a round hole, or I don't fit in in this situation. And it's like, you know what, the more that you realize, the more that you talk about this and you, and you put it out there, you recognize that other people are feeling this exact same way. They just don't talk about it as much. And I want to really create this culture. I want to create an environment where people feel safe to open themselves up and to talk about things like this, to talk about our own insecurities and how we're feeling about ourselves. Then maybe we start to feel more comfortable and can take it to the next level and start talking about money, which is a whole other thing because that's so stigmatized in our culture. But let's first start talking about what the insecurities that we feel because everybody else is feeling them too. You just don't think that. Right. And so thank you for having this podcast and shedding the light on that and, you know, sharing, normalizing information with others. And, you know, I'm also a mom and my girls are older now. They're 17 and 20 and I have older stepchildren in their twenties. And that challenge of work-life balance and division of labor at home and issues women deal with in terms of still being underpaid and there being a wage gap and still providing a large majority of the child care and, and doing a lot of the housework at home makes it especially stressful for women. And so, and we are marginalized, you know, in, in, the larger society overall. And so it can make it even more challenging to embrace our worth, uh, particularly for women of color or women who belong to the LGBTQIA plus population. You know, there's even more marginalization. And so we all have those insecurities. And my journey, you asked if I ever doubt myself every day, it's not easy, you know, but if we do our work and we reflect and we get support and we cultivate self-love practices and welcome the life that we deserve, we can open ourselves up to receiving more than we might've ever imagined was available to us. And I think many women, we suffer from people pleasing and guilt. And so we don't always prioritize our own health and wellness, including financially, because it feels selfish. Right. But when we take care of ourselves, we can actually be of greater service to the people around us who we love. It seems so counterintuitive, right? But I'm right there with you experiencing that. And that's actually why I've had a number of people on my show talking about this concept of burnout. Because when we're constantly people-pleasing, when we're constantly putting ourselves at the bottom of the list and doing everything for everyone else, or even have the belief, like I have this inner belief that like everybody needs me. And when do I have time? When do I actually have time to take care of myself? Then, you know, if we're constantly, then of course we're going to just run ourselves down and we're going to get to a point where we can't, maybe we can't pull ourselves back out of that. Right. And it's not healthy. Or you find yourself like I've done many times, just sitting in the car after preschool drop-off, just crying. Cause you're like, where do I go from here? What do I do now? Like what's my day like? And that's a tough place. That's a really tough place. But what I've learned is that when I've gotten to that place, it's because I haven't taken care of myself. And it doesn't have to be, I talk about this all the time. It doesn't have to be massages and bubble baths, right? It it literally can be allowing myself to, 
to speak what's on my mind or allowing myself the patience to just walk away from my desk or not judge myself or, or just, it feels so uncomfortable. It feels so uncomfortable to do this, but these are like little teeny tiny, like micro self care things that after a while you start to build up some respect for yourself. And I think that's ultimately my struggle is not having deep down after doing a lot of kind of personal self-reflection work, not feeling like I have the respect for myself that I wish I had. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing that with us, Megan. And I relate to you, especially in my earlier years of earlier parenthood, that those are such demanding times. And, you know, you are definitely not alone in that. And I loved how you talked about micro self-care, you know, that you can just take a moment to breathe, a moment to say no, a moment for solitude, to listen to your favorite music, to decline an invitation, yes, to dial down your expectations to good enough and accept that. There's there's so many different things you can do. I always ask people, if you were a cell phone, what would your battery charge be at? Mm, good question. And if we're not like cell phones, we we don't get the red bar alert. And if we're under 35%, it's our responsibility to recharge ourselves. So we have relationships and activities that either drain us or fill us back up. And so we need to manage our energy and we need to demonstrate the love and affection and compassion that we so easily extend to others, to ourselves. There's a quote that Buddha said that, You can search the whole universe for somebody who deserves your love and affection more than you do. And that person cannot be found. Mm. We do need to demonstrate that respect. And I always say healthy self-esteem is midway between diva and doormat. Mm -hmm. So the diva and dudes can be divas too, are kind of entitled and grandiose and not respectful of other people's boundaries And the doormat is not respectful of his or her her own. And I'm a recovering doormat. And that's when you put everyone else before you, you're exhausted, depleted, crying in your car, resentful. Then it's time to find that happy medium of healthy self-esteem where you demonstrate respect for yourself and others. You communicate assertively and you set healthy boundaries, including financially. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. What I've discovered is that at the root of all of this is Mm self-worth and underneath it all. And for me, there's, you know, I think for everybody, there's different varying layers of stories, right? Thing beliefs that we've had that kind of play into this, but I think ultimately it all comes down to self-worth. And if we don't feel like we are good enough, then of course we're going to let everything else take over our needs. And, and come first, right? So that's what ultimately needs to be to be worked on and healed. And I don't think we, as a culture, really focus on that route. I think we focus on solving all the problems and trying to make it all go away, but it's putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. It's not getting to the actual root cause and it's going to come keep coming back. Exactly. And like you were talking about with the marathon or whether it's a dollar amount that people want to earn, 
those are externals. But when we go internal and when I was really burnt out and it was horrible when my business was suffering so greatly, I really had to save my life. And I went to therapy. I went to uh, a meditation group. I started getting into yoga and it was interesting because at the time my kids were younger and I had mom guilt. I wasn't doing those things previously because I felt as a working mom, I needed to be with them as much as possible. Yes. And the first time that I left for an evening yoga class, my daughter Celeste said, mom, you're going to yoga. Good for you. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, mom guilt was stopping me from going, but then it ended up being healthy modeling. Yeah, it is. You don't realize again, I think as a culture, there's mommy culture and then there's just, there's our regular culture there's, so there's little subcultures, I think within the overall, but yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're taught to think that it's quantity over quality, right. Time over experience. And it's not, it's not. And the kids see, they know, they feel it when you're drained, when you've got nothing left to give and you're on edge, they know, and they know that you're not your best. And would you rather be putting your best self in front of those kids? Or would you rather have them see the completely burnt out, drained, ready to pop at any second version of yourself? I mean, that's, I'm not proud of that. I don't think anyone is. But we're all works in progress. So the fact that you're realizing, you know, the crying in the car thing and the need for you to have more self-compassion, more space and time for yourself, more self-care, better boundaries, you're going to shift that bar. And as I shifted that bar, my financial relationships changed too. You know, my CPA and financial planner were like, Joyce, you deserve to make a profit in your business. You're not running a charity to a therapist. And so I had to shift my mindset and prioritize my own financial health and well-being and emotional health and well-being. And it was interesting because as the business recovered and grew, I was able to pay people better, hire more people, offer more internships, offer sliding fee and pro bono counseling. So I wasn't helping anyone by shortchanging myself. When I took better care of myself, everyone felt better who had contact with me. And again, it wasn't any magic wand. This was your energy. You were taking care of yourself in order to, and you were taking care of how you wanted, you were intentionally going through the world, determining how you want to feel. And you were projecting that out there. You were presenting an energy and a vibe and just doing your thing, right? Keeping your head down. There wasn't anything magical that you did that somebody else can't do, right? Everyone can do this. It takes courage. It takes discipline. It takes responsibility, but each and every one of us can do this. And and I really feel that that's my soul's purpose, forgive me if that sounds a little dramatic, but inspiring people to do that work, to wake up and live a greater life because it is available. And the only thing between you and a greater life is ourselves. And again, right. It's not like somewhere in the future you arrive. 
it's not like there's a countdown in order to like one day, all of a sudden you're going to have this. I think that's what we think, right? We, we, we get so caught up in the, the end, the end result or the destination that we forget this journey that we're on is every single day is a lesson. And we can, it doesn't have to be like a grueling thing until you get to that imaginary place in your mind. And all of a sudden things are better. Like you don't, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's a process. It's a process with feeling, I think getting comfortable enough with yourself, getting comfortable enough with where you are and staying present and creating the life that you want now versus waiting for something in the future. Right. I think that to me is the lesson in it all. Beautiful. Yeah. Those externals are not going to bring us happiness. It's, it's living in the now in the way that brings us joy and we're aligned with purpose. We have support and connection, work-life balance that we want the best for ourselves. It's a path and progress is not linear we wish that it were and that, that, that we would clear a level and then we're done, but life isn't like that. We're not perfect as human beings and there are setbacks and challenges. So we may achieve our goals and then we may have different challenges that come up or then we have new goals and that's part of our evolution, but, you know, really creating time and space for yourself. Even if it's when my kids were young, I realized if I set my alarm, 30 minutes before they woke up rather than waking up with them. I had time to have a cup of coffee, set an intention, do a meditation, maybe throw on some makeup. So I felt human for the day. And that set my day up for so such more success or taking time for a short yoga practice or to walk around the block and clear your head or to call a friend all of that is so important to refill that battery charge. Yeah. Do what feels right for you. What feels good. And, and I agree with that. It doesn't have to be perfect. Everyone has this whole morning routine and that triggers me so much because I'm like, well, in order to do my morning routine, I'm going to have to get up at four in the morning because my kids are up at five and I want to exercise and I want to do the meditation and I want to journal and I want to do this. And it's like, I can't do it all. And so I just, even that I'm turning into a job or a task. And that's not what this is meant to be. This is meant to have a few minutes, right? And sometimes I'm like, let's remember my why, like, let's go back to basics here. What's the whole point of this? But I agree in general, because when you wake up in with the kids and they're little, you're already in reactive mode. And I emphasize often on the podcast, the importance of taking some time to just slow down and remember what it is, who we are, what we like, what we want to do, what ultimately our you know intentions are, not just for the day, but longer term. What are those goals? What do we want our life to look like? Right. And we don't, I personally struggle with this, but I think we don't do it enough. I think it's, again, we're on this constant treadmill and it, it takes a lot of work to hop off and start thinking about these things. And it's, because it can be uncomfortable too. It can be uncomfortable to recognize that maybe we're not where we thought we would be or not where we wanted to be, or maybe we are, but we're not happy for this reason or whatever. So this is a lot of work that I think is so important and at the same time can also be uncomfortable. 
Well, well said, Megan. Absolutely. And and maybe your morning practice becomes a late afternoon practice or yeah. practice or five minutes here or there, but just shifting toward that. And yeah, I think you articulated that very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joyce. This has been such an incredible conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, honestly. Before you go, before we go, I'd love to just have you tell everybody about how they can learn more about you, how they can find the book and, and just follow the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Megan. My website is my name. So it's joycemartyr.com, J-O-Y-C-E-M-A-R-T-E-R.com. And I would love to connect with people on social media. I definitely need Instagram love if you're on Instagram. And my book is called The Financial Mindset Fix. It's on Amazon. It's on Kindle and Audible. It actually is also published in Spanish. And it is coming out in Taiwanese next month in cool. China and in Korea shortly after that. I do have a digital course that goes along with my book that you can find on my website. And if you use the coupon code prosperity, you'll get 25% off. That's awesome. I will absolutely link it in the show notes when the episode goes out, because I think I I can't wait to read it. And I think it's going to be a game changer for so many of us. So thank you so much. You are just an absolute delight to talk with. And I can't wait to share this episode with the world. This has just been absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Likewise, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. 